You may remember, uh, you might not remember, the uh, gospel lessons over the last few weeks were primarily Jesus' encounters uh, with the Jewish religious leaders of his day, uh, mostly encounters where he told parables, which were thinly veiled condemnations of them and their ignorance of God and of his word. Now, we were spared last week the gospel lesson because Kendall preached on the psalm, which is a delightful relief from the beatings I've been giving you on Sunday mornings. Uh, but we're back to beatings this morning. Uh, we have, I'm going to first tell you last week's gospel in case you didn't pick it up. Uh, Jesus told the parable of God's wedding feast for his son who was going to be married. Uh, God was the king in the parable and his son of course is Jesus. This comes from Isaiah 25. It's a picture of the great banqueting table where we're all going to be seated. Those who are in Christ will be together forever. And Jesus' message to the Jews was that they, had, they were invited first to the, to the banquet, but they had refused to come. They had something else better to do. And then they had even killed God's messengers, the prophets who had invited them to the meal. As a result of his continual criticism of the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus had become, uh, it's funny how it works, he'd become immensely popular with the oppressed people of Jerusalem and Judea, and hugely unpopular with both the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the Jewish political leaders, the Herodians. The Herodians were called that because they collaborated with the Roman governor uh, occupying king, King Herod. Now, the Pharisees and the Herodians are there in Jerusalem. They're bitter enemies with one another. The Pharisees saw the Herodians as traitors to Judaism, sellouts, if you will. I think the old word was quislings. Anybody remember that? Yes. No, you don't. Never mind. Okay. Quislings, sellouts. And the Herodians saw the Pharisees as self-righteous zealots who were going to get them all killed by Rome if they kept pushing Judaism. So they're bitter enemies. So you know Jesus has really rocked the boat when the Pharisees and the Herodians team up together. They send their disciples to Jesus to try to stop him, as we see in the gospel lesson today. The things are that bad. You got pictures. Jesus has so won over the crowds with his bold teaching and stinging rebukes of the Pharisees and his great miracles. The Pharisees are afraid of losing their religious power. They've already sort of lost it. And the Herodians are afraid of losing political power. And they're both afraid of Rome, that Rome is going to come crushing down on all of them if the crowds get too big. So they come together to trap Jesus with this clever question. They think he can't answer this question without cutting his own throat. Is it lawful to pay the taxes to Caesar or not? If he says don't pay... Picture this, he's a traitor to Rome then, and he's subject to arrest and maybe crucifixion. And if he says pay, he's a traitor to his own people, the Jews, and maybe they'll drop him, you know, as their favorite son at this point. By human standards, it's a clever trap. But, you know, they forgot something. Uh, they forgot that they're dealing with the Son of God and his intellect and wisdom. And so Jesus avoids the trap entirely. He puts the burden back on the questioners. Give me a coin, he says. Whose likeness is this? Whose inscription? Well, it's Caesar's likeness. And on the back, so I've read, I've not actually had a denarius, but I've read that on the back is an inscription that basically calls Caesar a god. 
son of deity. So Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Yeah, go ahead. No treason to Caesar. Use his coin. Pay your taxes. That's what's his. And no treason to God because render to him what is his due. And they marveled. Is a little understory there, the inscription on the back. He says, render to God's what is God's. The back of the coin says, Caesar's a God. And Jesus is saying here between the lines, Caesar's no God. That's blasphemy. Render to God the name God. Perfect answer. They marveled. They slunk off, I think, is what they did. Okay, so same rules are good for us. That surprise anybody? It's in the New Testament, right? Obey the civil authorities. Do what you need to do as a citizen. Valid authority. Render to God what belongs to God. So we pay our taxes. We obey the law, except the speed limits. We're... <laughs> anybody not laughing? Okay. I caught you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do your duty, civic duties, obey the law, unless, of course, the authority tells us to contravene God's law or the Christian faith. Our first allegiance belongs to the Lord. And so if we're told by the government not to do something that the Lord would require, well, our first allegiance is to God. He is our creator, redeemer, king, savior, so we obey him first and above all else. I was trying to think of uh, examples. This is not some ancient theory out of, you know, first century Judaism. We live in a world where the government is starting to tell us what we can and can't do in certain areas. Maybe uh, England and and Canada are ahead of us on this, but preaching the gospel, the New Testament definition, the Bible's definition of sexual relationships and sexual purity is labeled in Canada and parts of England as hate speech because we're condemning a group of people that don't agree with us about biblical sexuality. So what do we do? We render unto valid authority what it says, but if it says that I can't stand up and preach about biblical morality from a Bible standpoint, what do I do? I know what I do, I just don't talk about it, right? That's, that's the safe thing. At any rate, we live in a world where this is not academic. We faced it when we were challenged by the Episcopal Church to, uh, they sacked our bishop. That was 10, 11 years ago now. We've hopefully, it's fading into the past. I don't want to dredge it all up. But they said we were standing against the teaching of the Episcopal Church, which views uh, sexual morality as a civil right, so to speak, and we were sticking to the biblical picture, and they said, no, you can't do that, and took our bishop out, or tried to, and that's when we decided to render unto Caesar, <laughs> the Episcopal Church, what it's due, but to God what he is due. And uh, it was an expensive, costly choice one that we're still living under. 
Okay, I did it. I got into where I didn't want to go, but I did it anyway. Sorry. Okay. I can do this stuff because David will be here soon. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. But when the... Okay, I'll, I'll just move right along. It gets worse, believe me. Because what is Sunday today? It's still pledge season. So you know where we're going, right? Render unto God. Okay. So what the Pharisees might have missed, and what we might miss as well, in Jesus' simple phrase, rendering unto God the things that are God's, what we might all overlook is the only point that I want to leave you with here this morning, and that is the question, what is it that belongs to God? What are his things? And the point is, and the problem is, everything belongs to God. I mean, we're his creatures. This is his creation. What is there that we can see, touch, feel, breathe, think that isn't the Lord's? Everything belongs to him. Think about it with me. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. Those are the two great commandments, and they don't really leave room for much else. The Scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being, Right? So all that we do and all we think and all we say is to be out of love for God and love for neighbor. Everything we have comes from God, the scripture says. It all comes down. All good things come down from the Father of lights. Everything. It's all from him. All our heartbeats, all our breaths are his gift to us. And all our love and loyalty, worship, honor, obedience, faith, it's all been from him and it belongs to him. All our, dare I say it, money, our assets, our agendas, our stuff, our resources, our kids, our grandkids, our past, present, and future. You get my point. It, it's all of him. It's all from him. It all belongs to him. Jesus said it so bluntly. If we want to keep our lives, our stuff, our agendas, then we will die. And we will live and we'll have abundant life, eternal life with him forever. Only when we die to all of that and embrace him, his life lived out through us. Die to self, live for Christ. So, you see it? The easy part is giving unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Right? To pay our taxes and serve on the jury or whatever it is, anything but obey the traffic limits, uh, serve in some way, help. It's all New Testament Christianity. That's the easy part. It's got some boundaries to it, some limits. But rendering unto God what is his, well, that's everything. All we have, our love, our devotion, our worship, obedience, all that we have, we're to render unto him. As the, you know, in our wedding service, the bride and groom say to each other, they look at each other, and they say, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. Well, we're the bride of Christ. That's who we are. And so we say to the Lord, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. And when we got awful quiet in here, 
Better get some humor going. Okay. But if we think of our stuff that way, if we can think of our stuff that way, our time, talent, treasure, energy, focus, allegiance, commitment, that it's not really ours. It belongs to him. We're, we're stewards, if you will. We, we've got it all on loan. Then I think it's a little bit easier to turn loose of it, to render unto God what is his, what belongs to him. And then let him tell us how he wants us to use it. And yes, it is stewardship season. There's a pledge card there in your bulletin this morning of a, a, a giving promise to the church. And I say it, it's easier to let go of our tithe money, 10% giving, when we know all that we have is from the Lord anyway, and now he's just telling us to consider this as where we use it to support the work of the church here at Holy Cross. And I know, Becky and I live in the same world you do. It's not easy to tithe, to 10% give. I would say this, we don't do it without his help, without the move of the Holy Spirit within us to change our wanter so that we want to, to give. And he will do that. It's not easy. We give him his due only by his grace and the power of the Spirit within us. But here's the thing. The, the good news is spelled out, oddly enough, in the Italian prophet Malachi this morning. If you caught his... This is God saying, uh, you know, we're not supposed to test the Lord, right? Unless he says, test me. And God says, test me in this. You're robbing me, he says. You're not bringing in the whole tithe. Test me in this. Bring in the whole tithe. And when you do, see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessing on you than you can possibly imagine or deal with. Give him his due, and he gives us back everything, what we need, what will bless us, what's good for us, what he wants us to have and to use. Rendering unto the Lord the things that are his, belonging, belong to him, and we will always, I swear, I promise, we will always have what we need and more than we can imagine and be blessed in what we do and trust ourselves to the Lord, lose our lives for him, and we will have life forever, abundant life. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to be faithful, to understand what you're asking us, and to have willing hearts to obey. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.